All right, um, we're in this series, and we last week we uh, the book was Joshua, which was a fun book because Joshua deals with uh, success, victory. Joshua is an interesting book because it's um, it's the first it's the first book in the Bible that's actually named after a character. And I was thinking about this. It's named after the main figure of the book, and quite possibly the guy that wrote the book. So Joshua is is the first one. And I was thinking, yeah, how come? I mean, Moses is the man. I mean, if you like, if you're gonna judge between Joshua and Moses, Moses is gonna outdo Joshua. He just is because. Uh, he had he had levels of encounter that no one has ever had before and had had since. So uh, he's just Moses is just cool. He really is, and he and he's got way more stories than Joshua does. But here's the interesting thing: how come they didn't name Exodus Moses? <laughs> See, he thinks everything. He thinks the logic is funny, right? But why didn't they? It should have been right. Why? I mean it. But if you follow the logic, how come Joshua is not named conquest or victory, right? Or success. But they named it after a person. And for our purposes today, and as you will see at the end, that's going to be very important. There's some significance as to why the success book is named after a person. So, you should read it. You should read Joshua. And if you weren't here last week, you need to listen to my message, because it's amazing. All right. Anyway. Uh, okay, so if Joshua is the success book, Judges, <laughs> Judges is, is the failure book. <laughs> Judges is the book of losers. I mean, it's, it, it is... <sighs> what can you say? They, they blow it. I mean, they just do, and, and, and we need to pay attention. Why, why did they blow it? What is going on? And we need to think about the children of Israel and their situation. You know, even though there's 12 tribes, how they act and how Judges plays out, it is the human condition. It is, it is us. And so even though we're talking about a nation, we're talking about a people group, we're talking about a culture, in reality, we're talking about us. And so if we can look at Joshua and how to apply the principles of the book of Joshua to our own personal lives so that we can be successful, we can also heed the warnings that are in the book of Judges because it shows, well, let's read it. Let's read part of it here. All right, um, get your Bibles out. We're going to look. We're going to read uh, Judges chapter two, verse six, and um, chapter two is absolutely. It's an amazing chapter. It's a one of a kind chapter because the narrator is actually he's actually speaking directly to you. He's going to tell you what's going on. There's no other chapter in the Bible like chapter two of Judges. It's as if the author is sitting down. He's having a conversation with you. So here we go. Uh, chapter 6. After Joshua dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things that the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. 
And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath, in the, country of Ephra- in the hill country of Ephraim, north of uh, Mount Gash. After the whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither their Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then Israel, this is important, folks. Then Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they served the Baals. Baal is a god. He is, he is the god of prosperity. He is a fertility god. If you want to worship somebody cool, you worship Baal. All right, so everybody has, uh, they decided to worship the cool gods instead. They forsook the Lord, the Lord God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt, and they followed and they worshiped various gods of the people around them. They provoked the Lord to anger because they forsook him and they served the Baals and the Asherahs. Uh, Asherah was, uh, she was the sexuality god. So you got a prosperity god and you have a god of sexuality. So the Baal altar would look a lot like the Yahweh altar. It's going to be a, a, you know, a stone altar that you sacrifice animals on and it has horns. But Asherah was... Um, uh, poles, Asherah poles. Uh, they, were, they were like totem poles. We don't, actually, we don't really have any of them. We just have vague descriptions of what they would be in the Bible. But, um, but you can think of them as totem poles, right? You, you've seen those before, where they're carved poles. Uh, you ready for this? Have you ever seen a maypole? It's may, right? So some people say, well, it's a lot like a maypole, and it's just another, well... You could even push it even a little bit farther, and you could say a Christmas tree is like an Asherah pole. It's not. You can't. <laughs> now, Luther, uh, he, uh, he decided to chop down a tree and put it in his house. But um, I want to just make it, you know, okay, we have these cultural things that are, that are part of us. We can make connections, cultural connections here and there. But Asherah and Baal... They were bad gods. And what Jesus likes to do is he likes to take people's culture and he likes to purify all the evil that's out of them. That's what he's really good at. All right, so that's what, they're up, that's what they've uh, forsook God for and that's what they're worshiping now. And in his anger, is, um, in his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to raiders who plundered them. He sold them to their enemies all around them, who they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Okay, then here we go. Then the Lord raised up judges. All right, so the book of Judges um, a judge isn't necessarily like a judge that, that we see, that, you know, the Supreme Court judge. Uh, a judge in this case, he would or she would uh, settle your arguments that you have with your neighbor, but they're also the chieftain. They are the leader. And in the Hebrew, uh, this word for judge, actually it has two meanings. One is, is a, somebody that can you know, settle disputes, a chieftain leader, 
but it also means Savior. So you could actually even retitle the book of Judges because the, the more accurate description of the judge is somebody that saves, is the Savior, okay? So the Lord raised up saviors who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods, and they worshiped them. Unlike their fathers, they quickly turned away from uh, the way in which their fathers had walked, and they walked the way of disobedience to the Lord. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge or a savior for them, he was with the judge, and he saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. So the Lord God had compassion on them as they groaned under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to their ways. Okay, this is important. Returned to their ways even more corrupt than those of their fathers following the other gods. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. I know, you guys don't worship these foreign gods. But are you stubborn? Is your spouse stubborn? You can elbow your spouse in the ribs right now. Are, they, are you stubborn? Is there certain things that, are, that, that you have deep down inside where you, just, where you are a control freak? Where you have to be in control? Are there areas, are there, is there... There are parts of you, your ego, that are so sensitive that you won't allow God in and you won't allow God to say, this part of your character is flawed and we are going to fix it. But you say to God, no, 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 I like that part of me. I want to keep it. And so these are the things that that they go through. Now, the important part that we need to get about the judges is that it is, there is this cycle. They, uh, the scholars call it the Deuteronomistic cycle, meaning that people are serving. Actually, I have a graphic. Aaron, can you bring up my little spiral graphic? Oh, there's a big buff guy behind me. Compared to me, he's skinny, right? Okay, the other one. The black and white one, there we go. Oh, it's a little pixelated, but you get the idea. Okay, so Israel serves the Lord, right? Israel falls into sin and idolatry. So they serve these cool gods, these Asherahs and these Baals. Okay, this is happening when things, okay, this is important. This is happening when things are going good, right? When things are going your way, when you have a lot of money in your bank account, when you're not stressed out, when you have job security, you go to Las Vegas. You don't, you forsake the gathering, or you just don't go to church as often as you should, or you're not, you're not teaching your kids the word of God like you should. So when things are going well, and we know this, this is our human nature, we slack off. All right. 
So Israel falls into sin and idolatry. Okay, and here's the fun part. Then Israel gets enslaved. Okay, we'll go back to the Las Vegas illustration, the analogy. Okay, so you do have a lot of money. Everything is going well for you, and, and you want to have a good time. And there's nothing wrong with having a good time. Is there something wrong with having a good time in Las Vegas? I will say yes. But that's between you and the Lord. All right. So you, okay, where, where, okay. Now, let's say you go to Las Vegas and you do really well. You do well at the, at the roulette table, right? And then you just take more risk and more risk and more risk. And you're doing really well. And what happens when you're doing really well at the table? You get lots of friends. All of a sudden, everybody becomes your best friend, and they all come out of the woodwork. And for some reason, your, your loser friend in college finds out about how well you're doing, and he shows up in Las Vegas too. And then you make that one bad bet, and you lose it all. Have you ever, have you ever bet the bank? Have you ever rolled the dice on a very big way and lost? I did this in college with... Um, with my laundry money, we played for quarters. I went uh, an entire month without being able to wash my clothes. When you lose it all, the fair-weather friends, they go away, right? And if you think about Las Vegas as being a god, which spiritually it just might well be. There might be a principality over that. There might be. Let's just cut to the chase. There is a spiritual principality over the city of Las Vegas. And if you go into those casinos, a lot of them have their little deities set up, and you pass them, and you give them homage on the way in. You've seen these, haven't you? And maybe, well, not this church. We don't go to Las Vegas because Pastor Josh always slams it. Now, what happens when your when, when you're, when you're prosperity deity, he gives you lots of money, he, he, you, you get lucky, and all of a sudden you run out of luck? Are the casino owners your friends anymore? Do they still treat you like a whale? A whale is, the, is a, you know, the rich guys from... Japan, or the, the, you know, the guys that have all the money, the guys that fly in on their fancy jets. When they lose their jet, when it's time to pay, is, your, is their God still their friend? No. They bring in the muscle. You get roughed up. They make sure they get a hold of your bank accounts. You will pay your bill. And the, the, the people that were so cool and that brought you so much prosperity, they now, what do they do? They own you. Have you ever been owned? Have you ever been owned by the IRS? Have you ever been owned by a creditor where you just thought, you know what, I'm just going to charge this credit card up. I'm going to buy whatever my heart's desire. And guess who owns you? The credit card company owns you. And then you move into this place of enslavement, Right? And then when you are enslaved, it is awful, isn't it? Because you lose your freedom. And we know how precious our freedom is to us, don't we? It is an awful thing to lose your freedom, to be controlled 
and manipulated by somebody outside of your life. It's very intrusive. And then what do we do? You can't see this part down here, but you cry out to the Lord, right? So this is this vicious cycle. You cry out to God. In the moment of your distress, you cry out to the Lord. And here's the beautiful thing. Here's why. This is one of the reasons why I love the Bible and I love the stories in the Bible. And this is why I serve God because whenever I cry out to him, he is always faithful in hearing. Now, I'm not saying he doesn't let me suffer a little bit more because maybe I need to learn a little bit. Maybe uh, God's not, he, God will not necessarily rescue you from your sin but he will save you from being enslaved. Does that make sense? Sometimes we have to pay the consequences of our sins. Most of the time we pay the consequences of our sins. We either hurt ourselves or we hurt other people. But when we cry out to God, over and over again in the scriptures, God hears these cries. And this is the way it's framed. He said, they says, he cannot stand to hear his kids suffering. No other God does that. Chemosh doesn't do that. Baal doesn't do that. Asherah doesn't do that. The casino owners don't do that. When you are crying out, they do not hear you. Credit card companies, when you cry, they do not hear you. But your Lord does. So the Lord hears your cries. The next part of the cycle is that God raises up, so as a judge, but God raises up a savior. Now, in the case of the Israelites, they do get a savior, don't they? And you got to read all, you get to read the stories. Some of the most amazing stories, some of them you know from childhood, Samson and Delilah. I love Samson. Everybody loves the story of Samson and Delilah because it's, just, it's a little steamy. There's, there's, there's some sex involved. And then Samson is just, you know, he's like this Superman hero. He has this incredible strength, but well, he's just like a dullard, right? It's all brawn and no brain. The, the guy's an idiot. He just, he just is. And what's the moral behind the story of Samson and Delilah? Sin makes you stupid. That's the moral behind the story. Once we begin to fall into sin, we serve other idols, we fall into idolatry, you, it jacks you up. You think that you can get away with murder, but you can't. You, know, you do stupid things. You make stupid decisions when you fall into sin. That's the moral of the story of Samson and Delilah. And there's the other great story of Gideon. You guys know the story of Gideon? Remember this one? He is the unlikely hero. He is the least in his family of the least tribe. He, is, he doesn't feel like he can do anything, but God chooses him. And God says, oh, mighty man of valor, I am choosing you this day to do great things. And the moral of that story is God can use anybody. God can use the least likely of people, somebody that doesn't have any resources, and God wants to basically flex his own muscles. He wants to show you how powerful he is. 
And I love Deborah. I, I actually debated whether I was going to flesh out Deborah or my, the next character that we're going to look at. But Deborah is absolutely amazing. She's the only person, she's the only judge in the Bible that is both a prophet and a judge. She's the only one that has two titles. And she's the only one that has this beautiful song that's written about her. And she has this um, sidekick, Jael. And it's like Thelma and Louise in the Bible. And I think this is the very first time that a woman has ever killed a man. Can we show the picture of Jael? There she is. Precious little moment. The kids do this craft for you guys for upstairs in Sunday school. You guys don't think that's funny. I'm sorry. I won't do that second service. All right. But Jael, Jael, she knows what's right. And she takes action and she... she the Israelites love this story, by the way. But she rams a, a tent peg through this guy's temple while he's sleeping. Smart woman. And then there's, um, there's one other story that I'll, I'm going to hit real quick. But Gideon has a son, Abimelech. And Abimelech is not a judge. Um, all of the judges are appointed by God. They all have some type of, unless it's the lesser judges where they said he just reigned and then he died. So there's, some, there's the greater judges that have a great story. All of them have been appointed by God, except for two guys. And one of them is Gideon's son, Abimelech. And he takes power on himself and he and did you know that actually he's the first king of Israel and he crowns himself king of Israel king of his tribe but then it says that he led Israel and um, as he's raiding as he's raiding a castle as, a, as he's trying to siege this tower a woman drops a millstone on his head and cracks his skull open Israelites love this you might think that's just really bizarre and really Kind of disgusting, Pastor Josh. Uh, you guys see Home Alone? You like Home Alone? Remember that? Or, I don't know, the ransom of Red Sheaf or, you know, somebody, you know, the bad guy breaks into your house with the machine gun and you hit him with a waffle iron. It's funny, right? That's what's going on here. This lady drops a blender on his head. She doesn't kill him with the sword. She kills him with the blender. They thought it was funny. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, okay. Uh, let's go back to my black and white one. Okay. And then God raises up a judge. Israel is delivered. He saves them. They go into a season of peace and prosperity. In the beginning, it's 40 years. The beginning of Judges, each time God delivers them, they get a 40-year respite time of period. And then Israel serves the Lord, and they fall right back into idolatry again, usually after the 40-year period. And here's the interesting thing about Judges. Let's go to that next slide. Is that in this, this cycle, in this Deuteronomic cycle, it is, it's a downward cycle. Like each time, the generation gets more and more perverse. The situation gets more and more desperate and more and more dire. Even though God continues to save them from their circumstances, 
it gets progressively worse. Israel is circling the drain. And God is saying, we have to fix a problem here. Now, I'm going to focus on one story. I know I kind of highlighted some of the other cool stories. I want you guys to review them later. But there's this one story that kind of wrecked me. How am I doing? Okay, I'm doing okay. Um, all right, we're going to look at uh, chapter 10, the end of chapter 10. <laughs> 10 chapter 6. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served the Baals and the Asterisks. And the God of Aram, the gods of Sidon, and the gods of Moab, and the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. So they're like going all the way around, aren't they? And because the Israelite forsook the Lord and no longer served him, he became angry with them. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines. We have, a new, we have some new bad guys. I'll talk about them later. And the Amorites, Ammonites who that year shattered and crushed them. For 18 years they oppressed all the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan and Gilead, the land of the Amorites. The Ammonites also crossed the Jordan and they fought against Judah, Benjamin, and the house of Ephraim. And Israel was in great distress. The Israelites cried out to the Lord, we have sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving the Baals. The Lord replied, When the Egyptians and the Amorites and the Ammonites and the Philistines and the Sidonians and the Amalekites and the Moanites oppressed you, and you cried to me for help, did I not save you from their hands? But you have forsaken me and served other gods, so I will no longer save you. This is pretty heavy stuff. This is like, he's, this, they pushed him too far, right? It's a big deal here. Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen, and you let them save you in your time of trouble. Are they going to save them? No. But the Israelites said to the Lord, we have sinned, do it, whatever you think best, but please rescue us now. Okay, here we go. They got rid of all their foreign gods among them, and they served the Lord. And he could bear Israel's misery no longer. So they cleaned house. They got rid of all their gods inside of them. They kept on crying and pleading out. They pushed God's buttons. They pushed, does God have emotions? It seems like that he does. Because he gets angry, he gets jealous. He has empathy and compassion, and he could bear their misery no more. And, okay, this is where it gets a little interesting. Skip down to 11. Chapter 11. Jephthah the Gilead was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons, and when they were all grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You are not going to get any inheritance in our family. It's very hurtful stuff, right? How old would you like to be the illegitimate kid, and you get kicked out of the house, and you're not going to get any inheritance? It's very painful. Because that you are a son of another woman. So Jephthah, 
Jephthah fled from his brothers and he settled in the land of Tob where a group of adventurers gathered around him. Some other uh, translations say scoundrels or, or you know, bad guys, mercenaries. Sometime later, the Ammonites made war on Israel. The elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commander so that we can fight the Ammonites. Jephthah said to them, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come now when you are in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to him, nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come fight with us and fight the Ammonites, and you will be our head over all who live in Gilead. Jephthah answered, suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? The elders of Gilead replied, the Lord is our witness. We will certainly do as you say. So Jephthah went to the elders of the Gilead, and made, they made him a commander over them, and he he uh, repeated all of his vows before the Lord. So Jephthah sent messengers to Ammon, the king. Okay, I'll skip that part. Okay, so what's going on here is that he goes out into this wilderness. He has a bunch of renegade friends. It's like Robin Hood, right? They're like the outcasts, but they're rough guys, and he's a good soldier. He's a gifted soldier, and his brothers want him back. And I don't know if you caught this, but his brothers said, come and be our commander. And then later it says, he says, well, I don't know about that. Come and be our commander in chief. Okay, so there's two points that we need to consider. One is that they just want him to fight the battle. But Jephthah says, Jephthah negotiates. Imagine a, a Jewish person negotiating. Jephthah negotiates it. He says, no, I don't want to just be, you know, I just don't want to be the soldier. I don't want to be the general. I want to be the chieftain. I want to be the head. And I don't know if you've noticed, but it does not say judge, does it? Okay? Interesting point. And another thing that you need to, where is God in this situation? Have you seen God yet? No, he hasn't seen him. So Jephthah sends out this really interesting letter to the enemies. He says, why are you guys fighting us? So he tries to negotiate with the enemy. He gives them this long letter of, of, of reasons. They completely ignore it. They completely blow them off. And so they go to war. And this is what happens. Verse 21, the Lord God of Israel gave Sion and all of, him, all of his men into Israel's hands and they defeated them. Israel took over the land and the Ammonites who lived there in that country. Uh, sorry, I think I missed a point. Oh, no. I'm sorry. Okay, here we go. I just completely lost it. Okay, here we go. 
Verse 28, then the king of Ammon, however, paid no attention. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh, and he passed through Mitzvah of Gilead. And from there, he advanced against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. If you give the Ammonites into my hand, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites, they will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Then Jephthah went over and he fought the Ammonites. Okay, he wins. Verse 34, Jephthah returned from his home in, in Mitzvah, and who should come out to meet him but his daughter, dancing to the sound of the tambourines. She was his only child, except for, he had, uh, except for he, her, he had neither son nor daughter. And when he saw her, he tore his clothes, and he cried, Oh, my daughter, you have made me miserable. And wretched, because I have made a vow to the Lord, and I cannot break it. And she says, my father, you have given your word to the Lord. Do, not, do to me just as you'd promised now. And the Lord has avenged your enemies, the Ammonites. But grant me one request, she said. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends, because I will never marry. You go, he said. And he let her go for two months and when she came back, he did to her as he had said. What kind of jacked up story is this? This is why I wanted to tackle this one. What is he really doing? He says, I'm going to make a vow to the Lord, and I'm running out of time. Dang it. All right, I need to finish this story real quick. He makes this vow to the Lord. He says, if you let me win... Whatever comes through my door, when I return, I'm going to give that to you as a burnt offering. And his beloved daughter comes through and he tears his clothes. This really messed me up because I have an only daughter. And so that's kind of why I was like kind of fixated on this story. It's like, what, what, this is horrible. This is, and it is. It's like the worst story in the Bible. And I, and I wanted to talk to you about it. It's the worst story that we have. God allows this guy to sacrifice his only daughter? All right. I need to highlight the character of Jephthah. Yeah, he was born of a prostitute. We could actually have empathy and sympathy for him in his situation because his brothers kicked him out of the house. Now he gets a chance at redemption. He gets a chance at revenge, and he takes it. And he says, I don't want to just be your commander. I want to be your chief. I want to be the leader. Did God appoint him? There was no point in this situation, and this is the very first time, if he is a judge, that man has elected a judge to be a leader. Now, the only thing that is confusing is that the Spirit of the Lord fell on him, and he was able to rally the troops to fight the bad guys. And when he comes back, he sacrifices his daughter. Now, here's the interesting point. If you're following along, you might have a different read than mine. You might have a different interpretation. And the Jubilee 2000 Bible and then uh, the Young's literal translation of the Bible, the Hebrew Bible, comes out a little differently. His vow says, instead of whatever comes through my door, it says, 
whomever comes through my door, and I will sacrifice him. That is the literal translation of the text. And for our case, and for the point of the story, that's a big deal. From going from whom to, from going from whatever to whomever, it changes the whole story. Because Jephthah was intent on human sacrifice. And he well knows the Levitical law that human sacrifice is, the, is, is, is an abomination, is what Leviticus calls it. It's an abomination upon the Lord to actually, and the worst of the worst is to sacrifice your children. But in the culture, the ultimate sacrifice, what they were obsessed with, was child sacrifice. You were going to get the most bang for your buck from these fertility gods if you gave them your children. You were going to actually get more children. There's archaeological um, sites, there's houses that are built, Canaanite houses, Ammonite houses, and they're built, and in their foundations, they find the corpses of children. They, 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 put their, they sacrifice their children, and they put them into their houses so their house would be blessed. Isn't that a disgusting thought to think? And that is the culture that they live in. And Jephthah was intent on sacrificing somebody. Who did he want to kill? Chances are he probably wanted to do in one of his brothers, right? Maybe his mother-in-law. Who knows, right? But he was intent on doing this. Why? Because Jephthah is self-centered. Because he's got an ego problem. Because he wants to be the man. He wants, what do soldiers want? except for our soldiers. They want glory and they want honor and they want to be above everybody else. That's our bouncer guy. (laughs) And this is Jephthah's thing. He's not a good guy. He's not a judge. So this is such a hard story to read because It's just so brutal. Some people even think that he didn't actually kill his daughter, that he just said that she, you know what, she's just going to be a virgin for her entire life. They'd actually sidestep the whole thing. Yeah. And then after this incident, the, the situation in, in Israel continues just to go down the drain because this one leader was so self-centered and so selfish and egotistical and so focused on his own glory and his own vanity and his own position. If he was a real man and if he really wanted to stick to his vow, he would have fell on his own sword rather than kill his own daughter. That's what a real man would have done. All right, if I could have the band and the ushers come to the front as they're on their way up. The book should be called Saved, Saviors. And Jesus, he is the ultimate judge, and he is the ultimate savior. And where all of these guys failed, Jesus will succeed. In the very end of the book, it says, And Israel had no king. And men did as they pleased. 
This is the very last lines of the book. They knew that they needed a king. They needed a man. They needed a savior. And it's all alluding to Jesus when he comes. And David is kind of the stopgap. He is, he is going to be their king for a very long time. But he was never meant to be their savior. But God had a good plan. And the story continues to play out. And the narrative is good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you that we live in a free country where people, where they have sacrificed, where they have given unselfishly of their lives. And we are so grateful for what they have done for us and our freedoms. And Jesus, we are so thankful that you are our judge and you are our savior. Pray that you bless this offering in your name. Amen. Amen.